0: but I made it. I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalms 126, the 126th division of Psalms. And I want to read the entire Psalms, which is only six verses. If y'all don't mind, since it's so warm in here today, I'm hot up here. Uh, Stand up with me for the reading of God's word. I know we're not real traditional. We ain't traditional at all. Um, But on this day, I want us to read the Psalms. I'll read and I want you to read silently along with me. Is that all right? When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Verse 5 again, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Can you say that with me? Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. High five your neighbor and say to him, something good is going to come out of this. You may be seated. Something good, I believe, is going to come out of this. You believe that? The reality is everybody likes a good comeback story. We like to hear stories about how someone was down and out and how they managed to regain their latitude. We love stories even from the business sector. Stories like Oprah Winfrey and uh, how she had such a scarred childhood, but yet she has made so many great accomplishments and even being a philanthropist, given to so many others, now they say that her worth is about $2.8 billion. We love the comeback stories of Bill Gates who failed over and over again in his business ventures, but look at him now. Walt Disney, Harlan Davis Sanders, a.k.a. Colonel Sanders, the dude I grew up with. Y'all know KFC. I know Kentucky Fried Chicken. Dave Thomas with Wendy's and Mary Kay and Jay-Z couldn't get signed on a record deal, so he decided he would start his own label. We love comeback stories. Even out of the business sectors, there's others. Albert Einstein, who didn't speak his first words until he was at the age of four. No doubt he was just taking his time to think what he was going to say once he started talking. Benjamin Franklin, who dropped out of school at the age of 10. No wonder he got struck with lightning and flying a kite. If he was in school, that wouldn't have happened. Thomas Edison failed 1,000 times before he invented a successful light bulb that would work. Vincent van Gogh painted over 900 paintings in his lifetime, but only one of them sold while he was alive. Some of you heard the story of Diana Nyad, uh, who on September of 2013 swam from Cuba to the shores of Florida. Listen, and she did it at the age of 64. And she did it without a shark cage. But she didn't do it on her first attempt. There were several attempts. Whether it was bad weather, it was lightning strikes, jellyfish stings, surrounded by sharks. But eventually, she was able to swim the 110-mile trek from Cuba to the U.S. Uh, uh, coastal Florida. And we know the story of a comeback. President Barack Obama. Need I say more? Whatever there. They were going through, no doubt at the time, there are certain, if you will, human expectations. There's something inside of us to say, I know I'm going through extreme difficulties now, but some good has got to come out of this. It's human nature to think that way and to feel that way. One of my favorite comeback stories is the story of Cinderella. Don't judge me. I love me some Cinderella. Cinderella. Let's go back, Sicily, 1634. Oh, y'all didn't watch The Golden Girls? <clears throat> you know the story. It's the embodying myth, if you will, of an unjust oppress- oppression and a triumph reward as a result of Cinderella and her perseverance. It's a story about a young girl by the name, again, Cinderella, which means actually little ashes. Both her natural parents, her mother and her father, were deceased, but Before her father died, he had married a woman, and he brought her into the house, and she became the stepmother, not just the stepmother, but the wicked stepmother. And she was surrounded by two evil stepsisters. They were the one who unjustly had an element of cruelty against Cinderella. They made her do all of the chores. She wore the worn and tattered clothes without any shoes. They made her sleep in the attic away from the rest of the family. Then she had a visit from a fairy godmother. All of us need one of those. And she granted her, if you will, a desire to attend the ball that was held at the king's palace. But it was on this one condition. You know the story. She had to be back before midnight. She went to the ball all dressed up in a ball gown, hair looking beautiful. She had on uh, glass slippers. And when she went in, even her own sisters did not recognize her because of her beauty. She grasped the attention of the prince, and he invited her to dance on the ballroom floor. And there he fell in love. But as she noticed, the clock was about to strike 12. She bolted out of the ballroom and out of the palace. And going down the stairs, she lost one of her glass slippers. And it was there that the prince followed and picked up the glass slipper and went from town to town, village to village, to find out who this slipper belongs to, because he was going to marry her. And make her his princess. I love this story. So he finally got to Cinderella's house. And when he got there, he tried the shoe first on the evil stepsisters who tried to squeeze 11 and a half into a six and a half <laughs> with bunions. And it would not fit. And he got down to the last candidate, Cinderella. And not only did she ease her foot into the shoe, but she also had in her possession the other shoe. I, i.e. the adage, if the shoe fits, wear it. I love a great comeback story. Uh, it's a story from rags to riches, a story from bondage to freedom. It's a story from uh, the nobody of obscurity to now you become somebody special. It's a story of being lost and now being found. No wonder we love the gospel of Jesus Christ so much because it's the greatest comeback story of all. I wish somebody had read the gospel in here. Maybe that's the reason why I'm so attracted as well to this psalm, Psalms 126. This psalm is is, is theological because it has its its moment of restoration with is knitted and woven if you will into the uh, the leitmotif of rejoicing. It's the product of one of the grandest and most eloquent lyrical prayers of the Psalter. Uh, psalms 126 is one of a collection of poems of psalms, if you will, that are called entitled uh, the Songs of Ascent. Uh, this is one of the 15 songs, psalms from uh, Psalms 120 to Psalms 134 that begins with this superscription. These psalms have been sung by the pilgrims that are ascending Uh, up the road from Babylonian bondage and captivity, and they're allowed to go back home to Jerusalem on top of the mountain. And so when we hear these songs, they sung these songs along the way on the journey, taking stops. But the first thing I want us to notice is Israel's devastation that is mentioned in the very first verse of this text. The text says in verse 1, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those, they said, who dream. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, those who were Zion, meaning Israel, who were in Babylonian bondage. You've got to understand that ba- the Babylonians had attacked Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel in 597 BC, under the leadership of, ne- of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And yet when we look at it, we realize Zedekiah was the one, the king who presided over Judah. He had become allies with the Egyptians, which uh, infuriated, if you will, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was trying to dominate not only Israel, Judah proper, but also Egypt as well. It took about a year and a half to seize Jerusalem and Israel, but finally they made their accomplishment. It was there they found King Zedekiah hiding in the plains of of, of, uh, Jericho, along with many other the Israelites, and taking them to captivity In Babylon, it was there that their homes were ripped from them. They turned, uh, tore up the city and tore down the temple. Their homes were destroyed. Their land was taken away from them. They were ravaged. They were pillaged and brought into slavery. But it was a slavery without physical chains. It was a slavery like Egypt where they had to endure arduous labor. They had homes, but they couldn't have the title to their homes. They had land, but they couldn't own the land. They had livestock, but they weren't owners of their livestock. They were simply sharecroppers. They were heavily taxed and oppressed. They were nobodies in the land of Babylon. When they were were reminded, when we were in captivity, it was the captivity of Zion in a strange land. But notice what they said. We began to see this ray of hope. They said, when the Lord brought us back, the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. (laughs) Have you ever been in that place? I believe for all of us, no matter what our circumstance and situation might be like, no matter how down and out we might be, we always have this dream. We always are inspired in some way that just maybe, just maybe I can win the mega million. Just, Just maybe. If I can't win, it'll be my first cousin on my mama's side that I hadn't talked to in seven years. But just maybe, just maybe, there's a ray of hope. They dream. But notice first, no doubt, they dream. There's three generations of Israelites that are now in Babylon. There are those who were the initial captors, if you will, captors. And then there are those who are the, the children of those that were cap, cap, uh, uh, held captive. And then the grandchildren. And I can imagine the parents and grandparents sitting around and sharing with their children and grandchildren how wonderful it was in Israel. How they used to worship at the Lord's house in Jerusalem. How they owned their own land. They owned their own houses. They had their own businesses. They lived in the land of milk and honey that God had given them and had taken from their enemies, the Jebusites, the Hittites, and the Canaanites. Over and over again, they would tell them these stories about how good life used to be. <laughs> they could only dream. And they kept casting the dream and sowing the dream. And the generation after generation, we were like those who dreamed. No doubt yours is like those of Israel. You feel like you're in your moment of bondage. You've been seized upon. Things have been ripped from you, taken from you, and at the same token, you, you dream. Lord, I, I, I've got this inspiration, if you will, a bit of encouragement that 2018 won't be like 2017. I wish I just had somebody that wanted to dream. But notice, that's the first implication. Uh, They dreamed about one day being liberated and going back to their homestead. But secondly, when we hear this word dream used in this context, when we look at the Hebrew and we look at the context itself, they didn't just dream about going back, but dreams were associated with the way that God communicated with Israel's prophets. Ezekiel and Daniel were the prophets of exile. And it was God that spoke through. If you remember Daniel, he interpreted the dreams of others, but God spoke to him through dreams and visions. He spoke through Ezekiel. Can these valley of dry bones live through visions and dreams? And that's what gave Israel a sense of hope. How many folk know that God still speaks through dreams? No, I'm not talking about the ones that we take when we close our eyes and lay down at night. That might be a good collard green pork chop dream. The way God speaks to us today, if you will, that will cause us to dream, to cause us to have a, a ray of hope and to have faith in him is through the word of God. Uh, he spoke to them. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews one, and he says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past. Somebody say in time past yes. to the fathers by the prophets. That's how God spoke in times past. He spoke to the forefathers through the prophets, through the dreams, through the visions. But has in these last days, these days, spoken to us through his son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Christ is speaking to us. But remember, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and everything that was made was made through Christ. That's what the text says in John 1, through his word. So the way God is speaking to us today is not so much through dreams and revelation. Peter, matter of fact, the one who was with Jesus, eyewitness, who heard the voice of God on top of the mountain, who heard the voice of Jesus Christ in the valley. He said it this way in 2 Peter 1.19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. We got a more sure. What is that more sure word? It is the written word of God, Jesus Christ, speaking through the biblical text by the Holy Spirit. I, I wish I had somebody that read the Bible that know what i 'm talking about and so, so here 's what i 'm really trying to say. The best thing you can do when you 're going through when you 're going through your season of transition, when you 're going through your season of deliverance with deliverance when you 're going through your trials and tribulation is to go to the Word of God and dream the dreams of God that 's how you know that it 's of the will of God. And listen, it's not a pork chop and sweet potato and collard green dream. That's how you know that it's a God-sized dream and not a pint-sized inspiration. That's how you know where we move from our self-centered desires to divine direction. That's when you know that you go from empty and vain ambitions to God-shaped pleasures. We go to the written Word of God. Somebody say the Word of God. We were like those... Who dreamed? How many dreamers we got in here? Things that are impossible for man, but fall right in the category of possibilities with God with room left over. (laughs) We've noticed, if you will, Israel's devastation. We noticed Israel's dream, but thirdly, I want us to take a good look at Israel's determination. What do you do while you're going through Israel's determination? Look at the beginning of verse 2. Then our mouth, they said, was filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. These are those who have been dogged out. They have been oppressed. They have been seized upon. They have been taken. Their rights and even human rights have been stripped away from them. But in their liberating moment, this is what they said. Our mouth was filled with laughter. They weren't just happy. They said, my mouths were filled with laughter. You know, this is what I found out. Even in the natural, anything that's filled leaves no room for nothing else to get in. I'm going to say that again. If your mouth is filled with joy and laughter, then there's no room on your tongue for criticism of others. Am I the only one hot up here? (laughs) I said, listen, they could have very easily drawn the focus at the enemy and how the enemy had oppressed them and how they had treated them. Listen, they could have filled their mouths with na, 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 na. But instead of giving the enemy... The enemies of God, that attention, instead of giving them the focus, instead of wasting the energy of words, somebody going to get this next time you go to your Twitter and your social media account and you want to go ahead and publicize something that somebody else has done to you that was so wrong that you want the world to know about it. Or before you make that phone call or that next tweet or that next text, it says that their mouth will fill with laughter. And if your mouth is filled with laughter, you have no room on your tongue and in your mouth for judgment of others, no room for the slander of others, no room for backbiting of others. Just praise unto God. And our tongue will fill with singing. (laughs) But, but, But what we need to look at is not only were they only way back home from bondage to freedom, But listen to this. It was the, the all-powerful Metal Persian uh, monarch Cyrus who financed their return as well as gave the decree that they would be liberated. Now let me say this. Cyrus is a heathen. Cyrus is an enemy of God. Cyrus does not love the people of God. We'll get to it in a minute. But listen to this. When have you ever known in human history, then or even up to now, where someone who is opposed to God, not only sets God people free and give them privilege, but fun, their are fun. No wonder their mouths were filled with laughter. No wonder their dreams were more than just dreams. It became a reality. They said, I can't believe this. Surely, the head of Almighty God is in this event. Because it couldn't be anything but God. Upon hearing the news of their liberation, they journey back home and they praise God. But let let, let me say something I don't think you see in the text that I want you to see. They are singing on their way back home. But they're singing praises to God and they haven't gotten home yet. Somebody feeding off that already. We're just going to drop a few crumbs and lead you to the promised land. I'm going to say it again. They're out of exile, they're out of slavery rather, but they're still not back home. They're like the children of Israel, they're not in Egypt, but they're yet not in the promised land. So in other words, what I'm saying is, they said that we're singing praises to God, our mouths are filled with joy, we're singing songs unto God, but we haven't even gotten back home yet, we're just stopping Along the way, sometimes before God really takes you from here to there, you just got to stop along the way, catch your breath along the journey, raise your hands to God and surrender and start giving him praise in advance. Somebody say in advance. Their houses had not been rebuilt. Their property has not been reclaimed. Their businesses had not been restarted. They, listen, don't have cattle in the the corral. They don't have seeds sown in the ground. There is no harvest. The walls of the city have not been fortified for security. The gates have not been reestablished. The temple have not been restored for worship, but they're praising God along the way. Tap your neighbor and say, praise him along the way. I can hear Edwin Hawkins on this side of my ear saying, don't wait till the battle is over to shout now. Even though in the end, you know you're going to win. So you don't believe this story about how we ought to praise God in advance. And it's not just praising God for what he has done. It's not just praising God for what he's about to do. It's just praising God for who he is. Psalmist wrote in Psalms 20 and verse 5, we will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. Listen to the tents. may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. May he fulfill, in other words, he has not fulfilled our petition, but at the same token, we're going to rejoice in your salvation. You have not saved or delivered us yet, but we're going to start rejoicing in advance. That ain't enough for you. I know y'all want to scratch and sniff. Prove it to me, people. Psalms 118, verse 24. Listen, so we don't just praise him for, but listen, we praise him because the text says, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day. That's the, the thought that we ought to have. Our heart directed first thing in the morning, before noonday comes, before the evening comes. Either hell breaks loose or the blessing fall out of the sky. This is the day, no matter what happens, that the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, you still ain't convinced. Psalms 34 and 1, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Their mouths were filled with laughter. The throats, the vocal cords, the heart were filled with praise. But do you realize that when God blesses his people, even the heathens take notice? Stay with me. Y'all ain't shouted yet, but you probably won't, but just stay with me. Look at verse 2b. Then they said among the nations, this is the nations, what they said, the Lord has done great things for them. Then they said among the nations, the word nation here means Gentile. In other words, those who are not believers, they are not followers of Yahweh or of Jehovah. They are, listen, they are the enemies of God. They are heathens. The heathens took notice and knew that what had been done was done By the God of the Israelites. Their God has done great things for them. Listen to that very carefully. What the songwriter is saying, that that even the heathen and the non-believing nations, they recognize not just the work of man, but this is the work of God. Uh, Let me me break this down. Can, Can we talk about how this all went down? Is that all right? It was Titus... Leavius, who is the Roman historian who gives us some background, if you will, to what really went down in the particulars. Why is it that the heathen, if you will, recognize that it was God who had blessed, Jehovah God, who had blessed the Israelites? Uh, this, this is what he says. He says that, that when, when the, the emperor Philip, the king of Macedon, was conquered uh, by the Romans, then the, the Grecian cities were restored. When the Grecian cities were restored, then Cyrus, who is now uh, the emperor, he, re- he gives liberty, if you will, to the children of Israel and sets them free. But this is how it was done. Uh, they were in the Isthmian, uh, Isthmian Games, which is the odd years of the Olympic Games. And while they're in the stadium, before the game began, the town crier is summoned by the general, and he's given a document to read While all of the foreigners are there in the arena, a moment of silence breaks out as he walks in what they call the circus. And he reads the decree and says, In the year of our Lord, Cyrus the king, he has now liberated, I'm paraphrasing, uh, the Israelites or the Jews and set them free to their homeland. He is now providing the finances for them to go back and to rebuild. And they will no longer be taxed. Now, I'm going to say to you, if you were an enemy and you were in that arena, how would you feel to hear that decree? Cyrus has lost his mind. Oh, but can I tell you the real deal? Uh, Somebody say the hands of God was all in him. Y'all know the story of Daniel. Am I right about it? The same Daniel in the lion's den. Same Daniel, the second son of David. But listen very carefully. When we talk about Daniel and the lion's Dan, we love that story, but we don't understand the background to it. So this is what was really going on in the background. What the people saw was a social political picture on the surface. They didn't understand what God was doing and had been doing all along in the background. So Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the boys of Israel that were seized by the Babylonians, brought to Babylon in captivity, but God gave them divine favor with those who were in charge. You know the story? And so God gave Daniel so much favor that when the king, who at that time uh, um, was Darius, he had to be a brother, name named Darius. Darius was in charge. He made Daniel second in command. He, being a Persian, made a Hebrew second in command, vice president. So in the event that Darius died, Daniel will become president of the country. There are some that are jealous and don't like your position. There were two, we won't go through all the names in the background, that despise this idea that Daniel was second in command. All along, while Daniel is trying to think, God has put me and promoted me to this position for a reason, and it ain't just to help a heathen king. God has set me here so that I might set a plan to liberate God's people. Additionally, Daniel knows that next year is the 70th year, and it's in the 70th year that God had his prophets prophesy that he's going to set his people free. Daniel's trying to figure out what is my place in this, how can I set my people free without, listeners, this, abusing my position and causing more abuse to come to them as a result of it? Y'all y'all with me? So while Daniel is scratching his head and, and he's trying to figure this out, two of his opposers came to the king, Darius, and said, The boy ain't as faithful to you as you think he is. He ain't as loyal. As a matter of fact, he's got more deva- devotion to his God than he does to you, which is against the law. So in light of the law, they said, we're going to prove it to you. Bring him out and have him to bow down before you and deny his God. They brought him out Darius didn't want to do it. And certainly Daniel would not deny his God and he wouldn't bow down to the king. King said, I have no other choice. And he ordered him to be thrown into the lion's den. Y'all remember the story now? Don't forget, he's trying to figure out how he can liberate God's people in the 70th year, which is just a few months away. They put a stone on top of the lion's den with Daniel down there in the, in the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God deliver you. The king, the text says, went to bed that night, but he didn't sleep. He tossed and turned all night long. Got up the next morning, went to the lion's den. Y'all know the story. Stone still on, but he hollered over the lion's den. Daniel, are you still there? Daniel responded. Oh, live king. (laughs) In other words, I ain't never tried to do you no harm. I ain't trying to do you no harm now. But my God has delivered me from the lions. Yes, they still down there. We've been shooting marbles all night long. The king ordered that he be brought out and be brought back to his rightful place in the palace, second in command. Listen, it gets gooder than this. (laughs) I know it's not grammatically correct. (laughs) Listen. So the king dies, Darius, and now you've got Cyrus who becomes successor. Cyrus is a heathen, but because he hears the story about Daniel and his God and how he delivers Daniel, he's afraid of that kind of God. So he says to Daniel, look, bruh, whatever you and your God want, let a brother know and you got it. I ain't trying to cause no trouble with you and your God. He said, I want my people to go free. He said, I not only set them free, but I'm going to throw you a little something, something your way to finance your journey. Y'all get the picture now? This is what they did not know from the social, political. This is what they did not know, and we don't know from the American surface view. This is what we don't know, and we sometimes even forget, even as Christians. God is sovereign. (laughs) You, you want to hear the sovereignty of God? See, this isn't this is about it, it went down this way and because this one got in office and because, no, 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 no. The, the text says in Jeremiah 29 and 10, long before they even went into captivity, God prophesied and said, for thus said the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you, God says, and perform my good word toward you, and cause you to return to this place. Let me say, because this is the application for you. Don't think that God is not only aware of what you're going through, but God has arranged it, and he's put his timer on it. (laughs) What bothers us most is because God did not tell us when we're coming out of it. But he doesn't have to tell you when you're coming out when you know that he's in it. The Beatitudes said it this way, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. (laughs) Just like he was in the fiery furnace with the Hebrew boys, just like he was in the Donalions den with Daniel, he's in whatever your pit or your furnace might be. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to say it again. God set his timer to your trial and your tribulation. God has put his timer on it. He knows the exact day and the exact time, not only before you and I were born, but before this world was ever created. And he decided in eternity past, this trial will last, will start on this day, and this trial in your life will end on this day. This trial, when it's over, I'm going to let you breathe, but this one will start on this day, and this one will start on not a day sooner, not a day later. And God says this, and then I'll come, and I'll be there. And I'll set you free. Somebody say, something good got to come out of this. But here's the best part. Point number four. We've seen the devastation. We've seen their determination. But look at verses four and five and six, rather. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. I'm going to say that again. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. I don't want you to miss any word in this text. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Did you catch that? No, you didn't. And notice what he says. He who continually... Goes forth weeping. You just crying day after day after day, year after year after year. Know what God is doing with your tears. Bearing seed for sowing. Your tears are God's seed for sowing. Here's the promise. Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Y'all missed that right there. I had a whole week on start on this head start before y'all got to it. <laughs> Notice this. Notice what he says. I know you've been shedding some tears, but your tears are not in vain. Now, we're talking strictly to the believer. Somebody say the believer. Those who don't know Christ. Now, we're going to give an invitation sooner or later. We're going to give you a reason for the invitation to accept Christ. But those who don't know Christ don't have this same promise. Your tears are falling on the sidewalk going down the sewer drain. But the tears of the believer are going into good soil, and God is using that to reap a harvest of joy in your life. Something good is going to come out of this. But notice that tears were not in vain. Guess what? Neither are yours. Neither are any believers. The psalmist says they were sowing with something. Don't miss the substance. They were sowing. They were sowing with tears. They were sowing with fear. They were sowing with pain. They were sowing with sorrow. They were sowing with grief. Let me remind you of what God has said in his word about the tears and the pain of the believer and how it is sown and yet in time how we reap benefits from it. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, God has said it this way through the pen of the apostle Paul. For our light momentary troubles, somebody say light. I know it seems heavy now, but our light momentary troubles are achieving for us, are working for us. An eternal glory that far awaits all of them. Did y'all catch that right there? Our tears, our sorrow, our pain, it's doing a work and we shall reap a benefit, notice Israel, they had tears in their incarceration, but when they got back to Israel, they brought in sheaves. (laughs) I don't know what sheaves are. Sheaves are wheat that has been harvested, cut down, and bundled up together. You see it bringing it on their heads and bringing it on their shoulders. Listen, by the time they got back to the promised land, you started off sowing tears, but God will give you sheaves of joy. Stay with me. I told you God's gone do something and bring something good out of this let me remind you once again of the promises of God because that verse I can see didn't do a thing for you Galatians 6 and 9 this is what God says and let us not grow weary y'all get that let us not get tired and faint while doing good for in due season somebody say in the season we shall reap if we do not lose Heart, I, I I told you something good is about to come out of your struggle. Uh, Lord, will you tell them one more time what Jesus said, John 12 and 24. Listen to this carefully. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, I'm going to say that again. Jesus said Unless the wheat grain dries out and dies and seems like it's good for nothing, and until it is sown in the ground, it's just a dead seed. But once it's sown in the ground, it brings forth much fruit. Did y'all catch that? Somebody say, give me an example. Stay with me now. The night that Jesus would be betrayed, y'all remember? Remember? He goes to the garden, but he didn't go alone. He invites three of his close friends, Pete and Jimmy John. Better known as Peter, James, and John to y'all, but y'all don't know him like I know him. The last two boys started a sub shop. Notice he took Pete and Jimmy John to the garden. Proper is called the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means The wine or the olive press. Jesus had one simple request. Can y'all guys stay up and pray with me? Jesus goes into the midst of the garden. Somebody said garden. And the text says that when he went into the garden, he grieved. When you grieved, you're overwhelmed with sorrow and tears began to flow. But notice his geographical location. He's in the garden. Y'all staying, y'all following this? And he is weeping. But in his weeping, the text earlier said that he's sowing tears of joy. And that the thing that dies will bear much fruit. Y'all don't know what catching this. Stay with me. And so he goes to the garden. He grieves, overwhelmed, so much so that his perspiration turns into blood. And he weeps. And his tears... All to the soil in the garden. They arrest him and on the next day they take him to Calvary to crucify him. Somebody say the cross. The cross was not only designed to kill Jesus. It was designed to extinguish Jesus. That once we get rid of Jesus we get rid of all the Jesus followers and we won't hear any more about this. The cross was designed to kill him but to extinguish him as well. Let me say it again. They took the cross to kill Jesus, but he had already been shedding tears in the garden, but we don't see the fruit. Now, now here's where they made the mistake. John nineteen forty one says, Now in the place where they crucified him, there was a garden. <laughs> in the place where they crucified him, there was another garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had been laid. Now, the one thing you don't want to do is to take the seed, Christ, kill him. The same one who said, unless the seed dies, and is buried, it's single, and there's no fruit. But if you take the seed, and it dies, and it's buried in the soil, it brings forth fruit. Stay with me. (laughs) So they took them, and they buried in a place that they shouldn't have buried them. They buried them in the garden. It's not only soil there, but I'm not a horticulturist or a horticulturist. (laughs) Because the first one, I don't know what that was, a halter top with a, a gardener, but anyway... But my knowledge of growing things is the best place for things to grow is in a garden. They made the mistake. They killed him on the cross. We're supposed to extinguish him. Jesus said, but except the seed dies and is planted, it can't bear fruit. They put the seed in the ground. But now there's two things you need. Good soil and a garden with a seed in it. Two other things you need. You need sun in order to make it grow for photosynthesis. I I know that much about science. They took the sun and buried him in the ground. (laughs) I'm talking about the S-O-N. You got the soil in a garden, a dead seed, and the sun in the ground. But now we ain't got no water. You got to have water. John 20 and 11 says, on the next day, Mary stood outside the tomb." Water in the garden of Jesus. <laughs> with her tears, with her sorrow, with her pain, with her lostness, with her loneliness, with her anxiousness, with her worry. She was shedding the tears, but the tears were productive tears. The two angels came out and said, Woman, why are you weeping? <laughs> she said, Because they removed my Savior from the tomb. She turned around and bumped into Jesus. <laughs> Y'all, didn't, y'all, didn't, y'all still didn't catch that. I need two or three people just to run right now. Drop your offering off and just run out that door up Capitol Boulevard. They killed him on the cross. The enemy's trying to kill you. Y'all get that? Trying to extinguish you. Trying to destroy your faith. But where you're buried, you're buried in God's garden. Gethsemane, you're in the press, shedding tears. Nothing the day before, and you seem like it's fruitless. It's not profitable. Lord, where's my joy? But they haven't finished killing you because the seed got to die. They haven't finished dis- trying to dis- discuss your name. They haven't finished trying to destroy your reputation until it dies. And it's buried. And it looks like it's hopeless. But you got to realize when they bury it, they're burying the sun. And when you keep on crying and shedding tears, you're giving water. And God begins to give growth and increase and fruit. I know you're going through a lot. <laughs> but I can hear Jesus saying something good is about to come out of all of this. Yeah. Tap your neighbor and say, it's coming. I can hear Travis Green in my head saying, all things are working together for my good. <laughs> yeah, because this is the reason why he's intentional, never failing. <laughs> I got Travis Green on this side, but I got Black Eyed Pe- excuse me, y'all, on this side. And I hear them saying, I got a feeling that tonight, whatever your night looks like, it's going to be a good night. Tonight, it's going to be a good night. I'm going to say it again. Tonight, it's going to be a good, good night. So let's live it up. I can't say the rest of the song. <laughs> I can hear the old folks. Going back on this side of my head, saying, I got a feeling everything is going to be all right. How do you know, mama? It's because the Holy Ghost done told me (laughs) that everything is going to be all right. Something good is going to come out of this. You don't believe me, but that's Joseph. Thrown into the pit, but he had a dream. Thrown into prison, but he still had a dream. And he clung to the dream. Y'all hear what I said? And it was through the interpretation of the dreams of others that he was able to meet the king. In meeting the king, God made him prime minister, second in command. Something good is going to come out of this. Because these are tears of faith. I don't know how God's going to do it. But I know that he can. And I believe that he will. And while... I'm going through the process. He is here with me, comforting me, strengthening by his grace, giving me joy. I'm not going to wait until I get to the other side. I'm going to start praising God now. I'm going to start giving him thanks now, not just for what he's about to do, but because of what he has been doing and what he's doing right now and ultimately because of who he is. Jesus has come to set you free. He's come to liberate those who are oppressed. He's come to restore sight to the blind. Will you trust him today? Will you trust him today? We say, Lord, here I am. I don't want my tears to be wasted. Let me understand let me help you understand something. The greatest tool that the enemy will use over you is not sickness. It's not disease. The greatest tool that the enemy will use over you It's not even death. The greatest tool that the enemy will use over you is guilt and condemnation. It's because, listen, if you're on your deathbed and you don't know Jesus, the devil will use that tool and that weapon against you to say you're going to die in your sins. You're separated from God. You are nothing and nobody in God's eyes. But I'm here today to tell you that you can make the devil a liar right now. He will no longer, listen, he can take your job, He can destroy your body. He can rip up your family. He may be able to do all of those things, but he'll never be able to condemn you and to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But you need to know Jesus. You need to trust him. He knows your story. Let us bow our heads, Father God. We give you thanks, Lord, for your word, for your truth. Lord, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people. If you have so spoken to me and that you'll continue to speak. Help them to realize, oh, Father, that our tears and our trials, our tests, they're not in vain. That you're working all things out for our good. Lord, I pray today, oh, Father, that we too oh father will have songs of ascent or songs of even descent if necessary Lord I pray today O oh Lord that someone today receive your comfort of grace and realize you didn't just give us a sal- vivid grace a grace for salvation but you've given us a future grace a grace in all things for all things that we might be able to bear all things with joy God I pray today oh father Lord for someone that may not know Christ as their Lord and Savior that today they would invite Christ into their heart to be forgiven of their sins your word says if we believe in Jesus Christ as the scriptures have said we'll have everlasting life we're not trusting Lord in our own righteousness but we're trusting in the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross that destroys all of our self-righteousness we're trusting in his finished work Lord we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus Lord, I pray that somebody leave this place today, knowing, oh Father, that they're not only forgiven of their sins, but Christ will live inside of them from this day forward and forevermore. I pray that we leave this place, oh God, with the assurance and standing on a firm foundation of your word. That life, oh Father, was never guaranteed all the pleasantries. Father, it's not guaranteed that every business deal, that God, Lord, is going to be successful. It's not guaranteed, oh Father, that our body is going to hold up, oh Father under every condition. Lord, it's not guaranteed, O Father, that every relationship will bind together and be strong. But what is guaranteed, O Father, is that you will always love us and you will never leave us or forsake us. So God, help us to have that consolation no matter what it is that we go through. But Lord, we do pray for those who are sick because Christ is still the great physician. We pray for those who are going through devastation, those who are going through loss, those are going through difficulties. So, Father, that you would undergird them, that you would provide for them. God, that you would care and comfort them. And, you know, Father, most of all, that they will sense your presence even when they feel like they're abandoned by, abandoned by everyone else. God, thank you, Lord, for we realize we're leaving this place today. But we're leaving, oh, Father, in your comfort. We're leaving with your angels surrounded surrounded by your angels for your protection. God, I thank you today, Lord, that we're also leaving as light, going into a dark world. As witnesses of Christ Jesus, help us to tell everyone the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us, O Father, to have loving arms. Help us to have a caring heart. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves, even when our neighbors don't love you and they don't love us. God, help even the heathen, Lord, see your good works in our life, but give you the glory in Jesus' name we thank you and praise you. Amen and amen. Man, come on, let's magnify the Lord in this place.